Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio, and before us you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, and definitely check that show out for all things pansexual, a wide range of issues around sexuality, gender identity, etc. I did want to give a, just a brief mention to uh, a recent episode on Lesbian Visibility Day, and really interesting episode about that, um, I guess the oppression that lesbian women face, but also the fact that some people might be privileged in some aspects in terms of like being white or being cisgender and, and those kind of things as well so yeah very intersectional kind of episode interesting stuff and make sure you check that out 12 to 1 every sunday so i am joined by uh, animal activist and sociologist roger yates who is all the way over in ireland uh welcome to the show roger Hello, how are you doing? You're uh, you're a very familiar voice uh, because um, I remember you on uh, the Species Barrier in 2017. Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I've still got you on my blog, so you're oh, okay. You're great. Yeah. I'm, I'm famous. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah, and you're a familiar voice as well. Um, yeah, Roger is someone, and I should say I'm Nick Pendergrass hosting today. And yeah, I've definitely uh, Roger is someone whose work I've, I've learned a lot from over the years, and have tried to incorporate into my activism, etc. So yeah, I guess we often with our Freedom of Species shows, we often do the shows live in the studio, which is great, and having people there. Uh, but because you know, we with the shutdown at the moment, we're sort of um, we're going to be Skyping either way. I thought it'd be a good chance to reach out to people around the world who we don't usually speak to, but um, who would be great for the show. So, yeah, it's great to have you on, uh, Roger. And, yeah, it was great to uh, go over to Lincoln and meet Marcus and Ruth from the Species Barrier podcast as well and, and record a show with them. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm very familiar with your work, but, um, yeah, some of our listeners won't be, particularly all the way over here in Australia. So do you want to talk a little bit about your, um, yeah, some of your experience as an activist and your social logical work etc just give it um yeah give listeners a bit of background um about yourself yeah great and um i suppose i became interested in in uh, animal ethics uh, in the 1970s i tried to join the uh, well i did join the hunts saboteurs in 1977 there was nobody around at the time and so um everything kind of came together really for me in 1979 and so i'd moved to essex in the south of england by then I joined a hunt saboteurs group down there, and I became vegan straight away. I never went through um, a vegetarian phase, which I've always been very grateful for, um, in the sense that I know a lot of people kind of get stuck in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, people often ask me, you know, kind of like, you know, what was the um, what was the prompting of my interest, you know? I think it was something to do with fairness. 
and I used to think, you know, what what was fair? You know, I used to, I got a, a memory of um, releasing wasps out of the school class classroom. Everyone else was trying to kill them. I was trying to release them, you know, that kind of issue. Mm. And then when I read uh, Tom Reagan, The Case for Animal Rights, it kind of gave me the philosophy that went with my feelings about what was fair and what was not, you know. So it all kind of congealed all around the late 70s, early 80s, you know. And so I got involved with quite a lot of, of, of action as part of the uh, radicalization of a big kind of Victorian anti-vivisection group called the BYV, and then involved with, um, you know, lots of local actions, still kept the, the, the sabbing focus. And then I also became a press officer for the uh, Animal Liberation Front. And now I'm uh, interested in uh, vegan education, uh, largely. And so I work uh, volunteer for the Vegan Information Project. And during the, the lockdown, I mean, the reason I'm here, I suppose, is the um, I'm doing the, the Animal Rights Show with um, Jeremy Hess. So we're doing a weekly show on the Internet uh, via Zoom and just uh, basically looking at kind of movement issues, you know. So that's kind of me as a person in a nutshell. In terms of work, um, my uh, I went to Bangor University in North Wales and um, I was very lucky in the sense that it was a kind of critical or radical kind of sociology kind of unit. And um, so that meant that I was exposed to some of the great theories of, you know, neo-Marxists, you know, um, the Frankfurt School, this kind of issue. So these were very kind of influential, I suppose, in my uh, academic uh, upbringing. But then when I went to MA level, I did my um, dissertation on the British animal movement. And I call that the sociology of compromise because I kind of was realizing, kind of heavily influenced at the time by Gary Francione, I realized really that the animal rights movement is really the animal welfare movement. You know, that, that was that was part of it. Then I went and moved up to a PhD. I looked at the uh, the issue of the species barrier or the kind of support pillars of speciesism. And, um, you know, cultural speciesism from an animal rights point of view is the number one kind of enemy, if you like. And so uh, it's a, it's important to understand it. You know, and there's a lot of culture involved, obviously, but there's lots of religion involved. And obviously, there's a philosophical uh, issue as well. So I, I looked at all those issues in the in the PhD, and that's kind of me, really. Yeah, thanks for that. And yeah, you hit on lots that I'd like to discuss further, but maybe to start things off, uh, and listeners can't see this because we're just audio, not video, but you've got a Vegan Information Project banner behind you, which is great. So um, yeah, maybe <laughs> you could talk a little bit about your your work with the Vegan Information Project and also, I guess, with, uh, you know, gatherings, band and stuff, how, how, the, how the work of that organization has changed and have you managed to adapt that to online, et cetera? Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting thing about that is that uh, we, we went kind of for visibility in, in terms of, um, you know, the usual thing in terms of street outreach would, would be someone sets up a kind of table with a few leaflets on and maybe a banner. Uh, we decided to go for, for big in that sense. So we bought a couple of gazebos, uh, which gave us like six meters by three meters space. So we were able to more like create an event. So we had something like the tea station, which was a, a little cafe area. And so people could sit with us and talk all things vegan uh, with us and have a free cup of tea, you know, that kind of thing. So it was to make it an educational experience uh, in a way. Yeah, and as usual, you know, we have all the leaflets, but, um, you know, the tea station made a big difference uh, for us in the sense that people could actually uh, talk to us, you know, and in a kind of relaxed way, 
you know, so that, you know, there's, it's not a kind of fraught situation. So it was a kind of, you know, educational event, really. That's what we were aiming for. But uh, the important part from us, uh, I suppose, is the fact that the group is a rights-based group. And so we always put the ethics on, uh, the focus on the ethics of the situation, you know. And so we always talk about animal rights. We tend not to get involved with cruelty talk and, you know, this abuse and that abuse and humane use and all this kind of stuff. We tend to emphasize uh, emphasize that, which is quite interesting because, you know, we often get a lot of farmers coming up and um, they're kind of looking for a stereotypical uh, vegan experience from their point of view and they, they don't get it from us. You know, we often talk to them about subsidies and how, you know, we feel as though, the you know, the subsidy system needs to be changed so that can help them, uh, you know, transfer from animal agriculture to arable, that kind of issue. Mm. And they often say, oh, well, you know, I didn't expect to, to get you know, this kind of conversation from you, you know, they, they have a almost stereotypical vision of what a vegan is, you know, mm. and I think we, we tend to break that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with, with the current situation has the, I know a lot of activist groups at the moment are very much sort of on hold, but has, have you managed to continue that vegan outreach in some way when I imagine, I'm not sure exactly how things are going in Ireland, but, um, yeah, if, you know, you, I imagine you can maybe no longer have that gazebo in the, in the public area, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think our fear, actually, is that when the lockdown eases, I think that's going to be probably one of the last things that they're going to be willing to allow back in a sense that it's not seen as um, essential. Mm. Um, they, they wouldn't see it that, that way. So obviously, you know, you've got the, um, the ease of the lockdown. So schools are starting to open, certain shops will start to open. You know, certain social events will start happening again. Maybe the pubs will, will open. But the idea of people kind of being activists on the street, that might not seem, you know, from the authorities' point of view, to be that important. So we're expecting to be one of the last, you know, back out there. So we've kind of filled fill the time now on, online like a lot, a lot of people do. So I, I do a lot of Zoom work. We keep in contact with the volunteers of the group, but also through the Animal Rights Show, we just try to explore some movement issues which are relevant to VIP uh, online now. And um, again, still very um, inspired by the work of uh, Tom Reagan. We, we, we rather, um, <laughs> we, we set ourselves a very ambitious um, target, actually, Nick, in the sense that we, we, we were trying to do something that, that Tom Reagan himself wasn't able to, which was to, as it were, establish a genuine rights-based animal rights movement. And, um, there's a formidable kind of opposition to that uh, from the welfare corporations. I know that you you looked at that in your PhD, etc. So, you know, you understand what I mean, you know. And so, to actually get a, I'm I'm hoping that probably the best we can do is is actually get a genuine rights-based faction of the movement, which is called animal rights, which is a, a very ironic thing to say, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. that's that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, and I think um, maybe before we get more into the online activism thing, it might be worth sort of clarifying some of these terms. And I know this is something you've done uh, a lot over the years in your academic work on, on your new radio show or new um, podcast or vodcast, etc. Um, but yeah, I guess that distinction between um, rights and welfare, as you've kind of already touched on, often animal rights is just used as sort of a, a very general term that can incorporate virtually any uh any activism for animals but i know what you're referring to is more around the work of theorists like tom reagan etc so do you want to just differentiate 
uh, those terms for those who, are, who aren't familiar with these ideas yet. Yeah, well, the, the easiest way, I suppose, to, to understand the distinction between welfare and, and rights would be to say that animal welfare is about um, focused on the treatment of other animals whilst they're being used, whereas animal rights is about the abolition of that use. That's, that's the, um, the, the, the simple distinction between the two. The, the complication comes in a position called new welfareism, which is that there are some people who actually also want the abolition of animal use, but they think that uh, animal welfare will bring that about. So they, they will um, support incre incremental re reforms. Their language is often welfare-based, so they'll talk about animal cruelty, ending animal abuse, that kind of issue, even even weak terms like um, have mercy for animals and this this kind of stuff. The animal rights position is stronger. It's more of a kind of demand because it's based on moral rights, which basically means that the theory of animal rights, the philosophy, says that other animals, other sentient beings, have rights. And so it's a question of gaining respect for them. It's not, it's not the issue of um, securing their rights as some kind of gift. And that would be more of like a legal rights kind of situation. And so... It's more of a, a trying to convince the culture, the species culture, that other animals are already rights bearers and we need to respect them and we need to stop violating their rights. So those that kind of language is not really that prevalent in the animal rights movement. They, they talk about cruelty, having mercy, uh, don't abuse other animals. And um, the rights-based view would be stronger by saying, stating other animals are rights bearers and the claim would be, therefore, that we have no right to violate their rights. So it's a kind of stronger, I always think of it as a stronger thing. I, check, I, I think animal welfare language is very weak compared with animal rights. And also it's more consistent. I think a lot of advocates now, they think that they can talk welfare and slap a vegan message on the end of it. And bingo, that's animal rights. So it's kind of not really that consistent. I mean, like even with COVID, and there's a lot of debate, obviously, and you'll know this as well, about the origins of the pandemic. And so there's a, a big focus on wet markets uh, all over the world. It's, they're not just in China, um, but also the issue of factory farming. So a lot of there's a lot of focus now in the, in the press, but also in the national groups around the world on um, a critique of wet markets and factory farming in particular. And they kind of put a, a vegan... Uh, label on the end of that uh, but the the point is the the actual argument is not necessarily consistent with that in the sense that uh, if you abolish factory farming you still have animal farming and so that would be an issue from from a rights-based point of view so there's, there's a there's a confusion you know gary francione famously calls the animal movement uh, the animal confusion movement to the extent that he's actually left the movement and and now runs a counter movement uh, which is quite interesting in itself you know, from our point of view, we, we like Tom Reagan, have uh, remained within the existing movement to to our uh, to our pain, I suppose, because um, it is quite hard to work within a movement that um, has got a very messy philosophy. You know, the animal movement has always been pretty messy philosophically. The interesting point about that, of course, Nick, is does it matter? A lot of activists will go, well, you know, I can get I can get by without a philosophy. They almost like make it up on the spot. They just say whatever appears to be right at the time without necessarily a guiding kind of foundational kind of set of uh, theories, you know. Mm. Um, obviously, we would probably say that you need a, a philosophical grounding 
to what you're going to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll definitely, I think there's lots more to say about that uh, that big debate within the movement and also um, to say uh, we'll touch more on online activism as well, but we'll take a song for now and then we'll be back after. We're speaking to Roger Yates about uh, online activism during the shutdown and sort of ongoing debates within the animal movement as well. Uh, the song we're going to hear now, though, is Pass It Along by Chumba Wumba, and this song is, is sort of all about online activism in a bit of a cynical way with lyrics it's like save the world don't leave the house but i thought that was kind of relevant in that a lot of us can't leave the house or not too much at the moment so i thought it was quite a relevant one so here is number one send this song to 20 people add your name don't break the cycle pass it along by word of mouse save the world don't leave the house because a virtual office in a virtual home means you never have to drive through the wrong part of town pass it along by word of mouse, save the world, don't leave the house. Don't leave the house.
Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We're joined by Roger Yates, who is a long-time animal activist, um, also a sociologist focusing on uh, animal issues and humans' relationships with other animals. And we just heard from a song from the band Chumbawamba that was passed along. And, yeah, Roger, actually, um, I found out between that song, uh, new Chumbawamba. So do you want to talk a bit about your... Um, yeah, I guess your experiences with them and also, I guess, maybe how the movement has changed over the decades. Mm, yeah, it was great to hear the Chambers again, mm-hmm. although um, there was a big controversy when they sang for EMI mm-hmm. after after they, they went years uh, of criticising the big kind of record labels. But um, I think them yeah, specifically to go- too, right? I think they specifically criticised yeah. that label in particular, if I remember correctly That's from their right. other songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Dan Burton O'Bacon, one, one, of, one, of um, one of their members, was very strong on that, put, put out a couple of kind of... Uh, you know, solo, solo albums. I think I've still still got them actually. Oh wow! And um, yeah, talk about insect rights and you know, really kind of edgy stuff in in that sense. I used to go to their squat in Leeds. Um, it was a really interesting place because you used to have to go upstairs to the kitchen, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great to see them um, in the beginning of their career, I suppose. And we used to go to the, their gigs when they came over to Liverpool and stuff. And so yeah, it was it was a, it was a good time. It was a kind of very kind of strong kind of what we would now call a pro-intersectional time, you know, when, when, when the, the issue of uh, animal rights and human issues were all entangled in David Nybert's uh, terms, mm. you know, so there was no, you know, there was no animals only type uh, uh, focus then, I don't think. Mm. And for, for Chumbawamba and that kind of scene generally, um, from I'm trying to think if if I can think of animal rights lyrics, but animals were definitely sort of a, a part of their concerns, right? When it came to social justice. Yeah, well, they did a song called Unilever, which oh, um, you're right. You know, mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that was about animal testing, right? Is that right? Well, partly, yeah, yeah. partly, but also, you know, the exploitation of, of workers and, mm. uh, but yeah, I mean, animal testing would have been part of it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think of, you know, bands around similar time uh, and similar scenes, um, like Crass, for example, had, you know, animal rights lyrics in, in amongst other social justice issues as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the punk scene was mm. part of the 70s revival, really, of... Um, of animal ethics and animal rights and, uh, you know, it fed into direct action mm-hmm. and that led into the real peak in activities in the 1980s. So it was all, you know, you, you'll see a lot of the old timers now and they came in as kind of punks, as it were, mm-hmm. listen to the lyrics, uh, you know, of people like, like Crass or Subhumans mm-hmm. and, and other groups. A lot of influences from the music side of things when everything was far more political than it is now. You know, it was before X Factor, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I actually saw Subhumans <laughs> just a few years ago here in Australia. So they're still still going strong. Um, and yeah, definitely for me... Um, the um, it might be idea my dogs in the background playing a bit, but um, yeah, the the definitely punk music was um, 
yeah, was definitely a big a big part of it for me uh, in terms of thinking about animals and you know questioning um, our relationship with animals and thinking about veganism, etc. Um, and and yeah, you mentioned that there was there has been that sort of um, break away from that more sort of intersectional thinking where animal animal rights is an important issue, but so are other like human orientated social justice issues and environmental mm. issues. It was all kind of this part of the same piece. Um, and yeah, it was interesting actually because thinking back into first thinking a lot about animals, I actually a lot of the bands are like sort of more uh, you know a, a sort of a generation after bands like Humble One, but like bands like maybe um, Propagandy and Anti Flag and Rise Against and mm-hmm. and those kind of bands talk about animal rights were quite influential. But actually, I, I found out a lot about that um through directly from the bands but also from the website peter too actually which is kind of interesting um yeah peter have a website sort of focused on sort of uh pop culture and and those kind of things and and i guess musicians talk about animals etc but um yeah i I guess in your time in the movement you, you overall you think things have kind of i guess gone backwards when it comes to this intersectional thinking well it's certainly less less political in that sense and that's 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 a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this gets us into a kind of, um, if you like, a uh, controversial part of the analysis of the, the animal movement in, in the sense that um, it was always seen, generally speaking, as fairly kind of left-leaning, if not left-wing. Steve Best would call it left-wing. But then again, he, he draws that very um, very widely, you know, from kind of anarchists right through to kind of left-leaning liberals. And, uh, you know, so you would say that our values are left-leaning and always have been. And I would agree with that, and people like David Nybert and Bob Torres would would agree with those kind of uh, issues. There seems to be recently quite a lot of um, right, right-leaning people coming in, um, and that has caused some friction because, you know, they tend to be opposed to feminism. They don't like kind of PC language and all this kind of stuff. And so it seems, I mean, obviously these people are going to be around forever, and back in the day too, but of course, uh, I suppose from a, uh, you know, from in terms of you know magazines, zines, and everything, you could you could as it were silence them because you wouldn't be able to give them a space. And now they obviously with the internet they can they can give themselves their own space. And some of them, you know, from my point of view, they're kind of trying to rewrite the history of both animal rights and and veganism. You know, but with with this animals only kind of thread, which has become quite popular because a lot of people come in with that kind of socialization going on and that's what they believe and so when you tell them that actually the pioneers of the vegan social movement back in the 1940s were pro-intersectional or that's at least what we would call them now Mm. um they they they're either surprised or dismissive or you know opposed to that idea you know Mm. Yeah, and I think some are, you know, explicitly, as you say, like maybe right wing, and I think a lot are not necessarily explicitly, but they're more veganism shouldn't be political and not taking a political stance on other issues. I guess ignore, mm. ignoring the fact that um, veganism itself is obviously political, and often by uh, not taking a stance on those other issues, you are actually taking a side. So to reject feminism is not being apolitical; that is a, a political stance in itself. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. well, I wanted to add any response to that thing of like, let's not politicize veganism. Again, I think it's a laughable idea considering, again, veganism is very political in itself. But do you have any thoughts on, on that idea? Well, yeah, I mean, just as you say there, the, the idea that you can call an apolitical 
uh, position non-political in its first place is, is a falsehood. Mm. I mean, that that is a political statement, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you've got some people now claiming, for example, that we should have um, feminists, uh, um, you know, marching alongside men's rights activists and marching alongside this and that and the other and all that and Trump supporters and this kind of stuff. I mean, there there is now a Facebook group called um, Vegans for Trump, mm. you know, which which is almost like a, quite a staggering de- development. Mm. Um but the real the real problem with that is that obviously marginalised people, and uh, you know people in terms of power relations who are on the lower legs of all that, then they're not going to they're not going to join that, because they're not going to feel safe. And um, the the animal movement is not is not being good even historically, at creating a safe space for um, minorities. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Peter before that they're kind of guilty of, of a, a lot of this, you know, in the sense of their kind of sexist campaigning their, you know, some some of their racial imagery, you know, dressing up as the Ku Klux Klan and this kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, in particular, their ableism is, is very distracting. You know, certainly the activists in the United States, they report that they've got to, if they're talking to other progressive, to use that term, they have to kind of make sure that, the people understand that they're not associated with Peter. And you know, Pete, Peter actually give, you know, give um, other movements, so the social justice movements, uh, a kind of easy out, a way of not uh, thinking about animal ethics, mm. which is which is a great shame for me. In fact, my own position, I suppose, is controversial in the movement. I, if I got my way, I'd close Peter down tomorrow. You know, I I, th- I think I think there's no space for them in a justice-based movement myself. Mm. Yeah, and I think as well, um, building on that, I think as uh, yeah, me and Roger being both being sociologists, often when people say I'm not being political, often it just means sort of maybe you haven't thought too much about the issue and you're just accepting that the dominant view on that issue and sort of assuming it isn't actually a view when it clearly is. Um, but I also wanted to as well, I, I believe I saw this in a tweet from uh, Mexi, who is a YouTuber and she also does a podcast called the Vegan Vanguard Podcast. I highly recommend. Um, but she had a tweet. It was something on the lines of, you know, if we, if we, and similar to what you just said, but if we welcome both like white supremacists and people of color, well, it's going to be the white supremacists who are comfortable show up, not the people of color. And yeah, if we, if we invite like men's rights activists and misogynists and women, we're only going to get the men's rights activists as well. So it just doesn't make sense that we can kind of invite everyone in and have that, as you say, be yeah, like a safe or a welcoming space for all different groups. No, that's right. And I mean, that's exactly the point that the, the cranky vegan Jake Conroy would make as well mm. uh, on, on his chat channel. And uh, he's got a YouTube uh, channel called The Cranky Vegan. And uh, he was one of the old shack people in North America. He went, he went to jail for four years. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of been, been through the activist mill, as it were, and uh, very keen on pressure campaigning. But he would, he would say exactly what you just said there and exactly what the Vegan Vanguard uh, podcast uh, is saying, you know, this this idea that um, you can be non-political within a social movement is just a falsehood. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess also I wanted to go back to online activism as well. And I guess like at the moment in the current environment and just generally, I think a, a big uh, critique of online activism, which definitely doesn't apply to veganism specifically, it could be any issue, is is this idea of the echo chamber of that people are spreading political messages but only reaching the people who already agree with that message. So those who with liberal views are speaking to other liberals, those with conservative political views speaking to conservatives, and no one's really views are being 
changed or challenged, but we're just sort of having our views reinforced. And I did want to say as well with the disclaimer, I don't think that a a vegan discussion discussion reaching a purely vegan audience uh, is necessarily a waste of time because a lot of the issues you touch on, for example, might be to do with encourage people to think critically about uh, the rights welfare debate and, and how they engage with activism. So it can be strategic in that way. But I, I guess mm-hmm. just for Vegan Information Project and uh, even your new uh, podcast, video podcast that, that you're doing and, and just generally online, online activism, um, yeah, do, do you kind of, are you concerned about that echo chamber effect and, and what do you think some of the ways we can sort of reach out and not just have this uh, discussion within the animal movement but also try and reach out to those who aren't yet uh, thinking about animals? Yeah, it's a it's a very important point, and in fact, something that um, you know we've kind of like almost like got a little kind of production team now going for the animal rights show, and so it's something that we've talked about over the last six weeks, and it is an issue, you know, the vegan bubble, you know, kind of how to escape the, the vegan bubble, but there is education to do within it, as you say, you know, especially we need to keep the the focus on the ethics because a lot of people come into the movement and socialize into the idea that veganism is a diet or veganism is only about other animals, you know, these things which are not, um, they're not true, at least they're not true to the value of the people who started the movement. And so there is a lot of kind of in-movement education to be done. But the idea of how to get out of the vegan bubble is quite difficult, you know, especially from a a kind of anarchic point of view, in the sense that, well, if the alternative is the mass media, well, the mass media is fraught with difficulties too, in the sense that, you know... um, you know, media sociology and even social movement theory would, would, would look at how, you know, the mass in mass media is very seductive to a social movement. It's just that you have very little control then of the message. You know, they, they are in control. You almost like hand over your cause to them and they can characterize it uh, as they want, or, you know, and they can dismiss it and um, belittle it and all the rest of it. And so, you know, social, move, uh, social media is very attractive because you're in control. But then you've got this bubble effect. The mass media is attractive because you're reaching more people. And the problem there is that you lose you lose control. And so you've got these pros and cons on, on both sides. And there's no I've not really seen anyone successfully, you know, work out a way, as it were, of, of getting out of that. One way that used to be around was called indie media which you may be familiar with, it's all, it's all over the world. And it was basically, um, you know, it's almost like a Wikipedia type thing, but it was a media version of it. So you were able to kind of create a, a newspaper or, or um, a magazine and you, and you could um, contribute to it. And I've noticed that social media has kind of destroyed that, which is a real kind of shame. It used to be a very big activist tool back in the 80s and 90s. And now probably 90s mainly, early, early 20th century, uh, 21st century, I suppose. But now it seems to have um, been destroyed by Facebook, you know, so mm. that's a shame. So how, how to get out of the vegan bubble is, is a problem, especially if you're then going to be in the arms of the mass media. Mm. Yeah, it definitely is a tough one. And, and I agree, I think that is something that a lot of activists are aware of it, but I also don't know too many people who have the the um the perfect solution to get out of that as well but uh we're going to take a song now chosen by roger so this is uh root of star by t-rex anything you'd like to say about this song yeah it was um i just i just like the top the tone of it in fact i spoke to the producer tony visconti very famous producer 
uh, famous for producing T-Rex and U2 and David Bowie probably uh, more than more than uh, anything else. And they were talking about the lead guitar, which is a kind of got a very kind of liquidy kind of sound to it, was just plugged straight into the mixing desk rather than through an amplifier. That's how they got this particular guitar sound, which I really really like. Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Welcome back to Freedom of Species, bringing you animal activism on the airwaves of 3CR. And we are joined by Roger Yates. And yeah, I think this is um, something that I'm definitely interested in. And we've definitely raised this on the show of, I guess, bringing sort of humor and fun and creativity to animal activism and activism in general. And yeah, I know that this is um, something that Roger's also interested in. I, I also 
vaguely remember maybe seeing on a profile at some point that you may have even taught a unit on the sociology of humour. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you maybe have even taught on this in an academic way. But yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah, I'm just wondering, um, yeah, any thoughts on this idea about how humour can use be used as a tool? And I also know from uh, and another podcast we mentioned at the start, The Species Barrier, you were, were quite, you, you enjoyed the documentary Carnage, which I also enjoyed, which used humour, but still had a very strong uh, vegan animal rights message too so yeah anything like say about humor and the movement yeah i did indeed uh, teach the sociology of humor um for uh, for a few semesters really and it was quite quite interesting and it can be ch- quite challenging in the sense that you know humor is um is a great tool within human society and you know you, you, it can be real kind of part of social control it can create in groups and out groups and uh, all kinds of things, you know. And so it's it's a very kind of central part of uh, of human um, social interaction and socialization. Um, so there's a lot to say about that. But in terms of the movement, I think it's pretty important within the movement too, not least to break the kind of you know vegans don't have a sense of humor stereotype. And what we used to say in the sociology of humor is that the the thing about you don't have a sense of humor is not an observation, it's an accusation. It's almost like something that um, everyone needs to have. E- even in the in the dating sites, you used to get people uh, emphasizing the fact that they've got a good sense of humor. It's very, it's very kind of important um, part of things. And I think the counter-movements to animal rights will often try to um, characterize, you know, vegans or animal rights supporters as um, overly kind of, Dow are too serious, you know, they, they don't have a sense of humor. So it's in, it's important in, in social interaction, but also in advocacy to kind of break that, I think. I mean, one of the ways we do it, we get a lot of vegetarians coming up and they're kind of looking for validation of their kind of vegetarianism, which we tend not to give them, but not in a, a an oppositional way. And what I tend to do to break the ice with that one is uh, if they say, oh, I'm a vegetarian, I say, oh, we've got a cure for that, you know, which uh, which, which creates, uh, uh, you know, an instant kind of uh, giggle, and we, we proceed from there. But, yeah, to, to actually show... I mean, it's interesting, really. You know, I don't even know where this myth that vegans don't have a sense of humour come from, really. I mean, I've never, I've never ever been in a group of, of vegans... Uh, in which, you know, people weren't cracking jokes and, you know, not least for the fact that the, the actual kind of social relief of being in a, a group of vegans, you know, social social isolation for vegans is very damaging because you're kind of back in, embedded into a species culture and that can be very painful and lead to things like burnout and, um, and issues like that, you know, very, very kind of painful thing to be an isolated vegan. And lots of people are concerned about being the only vegan in, in, not the only vegan in the village, but the only vegan in, in the household. That can be a very kind of painful situation for people to just, because you've kind of woken up to the reality of animal use, and then you, you realize that you're in, your immediate family are involved. But they're, if they're not getting it, or they're kind of um, fobbing you off, you know, that can be very painful from from a vegan point of view. So when vegans do get together, it's 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 very much kind of like a, a relief situation. You can almost like relax. I remember that that even from you know the late seventies or eighties, if you went into a vegan household, it was almost like a relaxed situation because you don't have to ask any any kind of embarrassing questions about you know what what milk they're putting in the tea and that kind of stuff. You know, so it's it's a lot more relaxing. And once you've got that 
relaxation situation, then the humor emerges. Mm. You know, the, the, the sad vans were always full of, of humor. Sometimes, of course, it's gallows humor and dark humor, which again is got, is very kind of got a lot of utility in, in a social setting. You know, groups tend to, I mean, even slaves would do that. They would have a, their own humor as a kind of fight back kind of situation. Mm. People in, in exploitative situations tend to be, you know, create their own humor to fight back against their oppressors, you know. Mm. And I think vegans do that too, but there's no reason why. It's, I just think it's a fascinating, inter interesting thing. You know, where did that myth come from? You know, it's quite interesting. Mm. And I think it's probably, I would imagine it kind of comes from this idea that all of these um, products, these animal products, for those who haven't necessarily made that connection, these are just sort of fun products and, and people are just eating them and having a good time and, and as you say, like being relaxed and socialising. And then as vegans, we have that reaction of like seeing that the, um, you know, the animal behind these products rather than just viewing them as a product with no consequences. So I guess that's not to say vegans don't have sense of humour in other ways, but I guess um, vegans might be more... Um, um, uh, serious, I guess, just on that specific issue. Mm, yeah, I think you might you might be onto something there. Of course, that raises the issue of the junk food vegans too. You know, mm -hmm. the um, you know those th those who kind of would almost replicate the experience of the, of the mainstream culture, which is mm -hmm. an interesting thing in, in itself. You know, I I find that um, long term vegans tend to move away from that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm actually looking forward to the time when we get over this kind of fad of having to have a vegan version of everything. And, and then the R&D would go into actually just um, creating novel vegan products. Mm. And there's bound to come to a time when that, when that occurs, that, you know, we just get um, new vegan products, which are, which are plant-based in their own right, as it were. They're not trying to be something else. Mm. Although I'm, I'm not opposed to calling vegan meats vegan meat. I think that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. You know, not least because it undermines the fact that, or it highlights the fact, really, that um, the word meat didn't originally mean animal flesh in the first place. Mm. So it's almost like, you know, reclaim, reclaiming it, you know. Mm. They could have the meat of a coconut or whatever. It wouldn't necessarily have to be yeah. animal flesh, yeah. Um, That's right, yeah. And, yeah, I, I do personally eat that stuff, but I, I also know uh, another Freedom of Species host, Madison, also raised sometimes there was there was a new burger and it was talking about, like, how they simulate blood, like, through beetroot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, beetroot. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. I don't understand that, uh, the desire for that or the mentality or anything like that. No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right back in the eighties, there was something called um, mock duck, which you you would you would get um, in a tin, yeah. and they went to the trouble of um, printing the kind of um, skin type uh, effects mm. on on the product to the extent that it looked like uh, flesh would look uh, yeah. had it had the the feathers taken out. And I thought, why would you do that? Mm. You know that. That just seems ridiculous, you know, but there you go. Yeah, and I've also had, um, like, chicken, well, like, vegan chicken, and there's the little, they put little, like, wooden, like, pop stick kind of things to simulate the bones on the inside or whatever, and it's like, yeah, I, def I definitely don't need that, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that, yeah. That, that, just, that just seems bizarre. Yeah. But, I mean, let, let's face it, you know, the, these products are very good for people who are just coming into the, into the movement, especially if they're getting flack from their family, mm -hmm. And they're particularly good for parents mm -hmm. with vegan children mm -hmm. 
because as we know, you know, in terms of, you know, sociology and social psychology, you know, if you stick out at school, you're going to get bullied, you know. And so the the more conventional your kind of packed lunch look, looks like, the, the better in that sense. Mm. So it's very, they're very useful for those kind of, kind of settings that, those kind of social arenas, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that is, um, yeah, definitely thinking back to when I was a kid, like that was the number one thing you wanted to do, wasn't like fit in it and be like everyone mm. else. And I think a lot of us, and maybe in my case, and, and maybe similar to you, but the, the music you've mentioned, but like from punk music and that kind of thing, it was like not wanting to be like that, be like everyone else so much. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, I think that pressure sort of exists for our whole life. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it, Nick, that uh, even... Even the punks started to have their own uniform then, in, yeah. in, in a sense. I remember Carnaby Street in London. Um, it, it, it was the fashion at the time for people to go to punk gigs and all this kind of spitting going on and the mosh pit and all that. And so people would just kind of buy a bin bag <laughs> and they would just kind of, you know, punch their head through the top and their arms through the sides and bingo, you've got your T-shirt for the night type of thing. <laughs> and then, you know, within about three or four months, Carnaby Street were selling tailored bin bags yeah so you know capitalism found 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 its way to commodify that as well you know yeah and i think also from like going back to like the punk i mean you're still talking about the punk scene but i guess going back specifically to chumbawamba i remember hearing them talking about one of the members from chumbawamba on a documentary saying that as you say punk is all about being different and rebelling from the norm but then it's like yeah, then you have to dress in a certain way, like a black T-shirt, a black mm. man T-shirt. And so Chumbawamba would wear like all colourful clothing to kind of go, well, we don't buy it. We don't all have to rebel in exactly the same way, basically, I guess. Yeah. 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 You, you, said, you said that you have to have a, pla- a black jumper, big bag, baggy black jumper, and you would have to put your thumbs through the sleeves. Okay. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 So, that, that, so, I mean, it's interesting, you know, but that's kind of like, I suppose, the importance of, of connection in in human society you know we 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 need to connect on some level mm. even if we're all kind of rebels or we think we are and all that mm. you know we we still we still need some very kind of basic kind of connections and you know a, a uniform kind of does that mm. it's almost like a flag isn't it mm-hmm. you know eddie is that you know you know do you have a flag you know because it it kind of situates you you know mm-hmm. and and i wanted to just briefly go back to the humor as well and just your points about like vegans being able to relax and maybe have those have those products not enter the space which maybe cause us to be not so happy and relaxed and that kind of thing and um, i was actually watching a documentary called andy and me it was jim carrey all, all about um playing the comedian um andy kaufman in the movie man on the moon and he was saying oh, yeah. he was sort of saying that the success to or the way to yeah the, the Elvis bit is really good in that isn't it the Elvis yeah bit. do you remember that oh yeah for Man yeah. and the Moon yeah 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 definitely I really love the movie and this was like a documentary all about like I guess the sort of journey Jim Carrey went on by playing Andy Kaufman but Jim Carrey is kind of talking about his own stand up and in the early days and stuff and his sort of key to success as a comedian he said was um, basically. Um, be portraying yourself in a certain way that the audience is relaxed enough so that they can laugh and so it's like if a comedian mm-hmm. is sort of you know stumbling or, or is not in control the audience are quite tense and they can't laugh and then all he had to do was just show that he was in control or appear that he was in control and he got a big laugh just as soon as he walked out basically so I, I kind of thought about the humor in terms of like vegans being able to relax and that that humor coming out from being in those uh, I guess vegan bubbles that we referred to um, yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of technique there, isn't there? In the sense that you know, most most comedians learn how to put down 
hecklers mm. and so, sometimes they'll almost like create a heckle mm -hmm. in order to show that control mm -hmm. uh, initially or they'll be kind of oppositional you know at the beginning by kind of like almost like be seen to critique their own their own um audience you know Stuart mm. Lee does that a left left wing comedian mm. you know he he kind of makes a distinction between the people in in the in the pit or the kind of stalls and the people in the circle and and he kind of suggest that the people in the circle have just come by accident, mm -hmm. whereas the people in the stalls know what, what he's all about. Yeah. You know, and he's forever, he's forever saying to the people in the circle, you know, you've got to keep up, you know, you're just, you're just not kind of, you're not up to speed with this, you know, what's, what's the matter with you? And he kind of creates that tension within the audience, but it, it kind of works. It's quite, quite interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we're coming to the end of the show. I did want to just, while we're on the humor issue, and I don't know if this has stuck with, with me more than it has with you, but I know you had a, a sort of a joke, which is maybe similar to your uh, vegetarian example that is like a, a joke that can maybe start a conversation. But I know there's a, a debate uh, amongst some in the animal rights movement about riding horses and you had a i'm not sure if you remember this but your joke about riding horses or i don't, don't? okay I, I remember it better than you so i thought this was great um you said you're in favor of uh people riding horses but as long as it could swap part way and then the horse could ride the human oh, yeah. that's right yeah. yeah and the same goes with with the backyard um eggs situation you know you know can we back out eggs and i said well if if, if the hens tie a tie a bow around and ro roll up to your door then it's definitely a gift and you can have it then <laughs> until then yeah <laughs> until then it's their property you know? yeah and i think that that is a good way to to start the discussion and and as well maybe overcome some of those stereotypes that you mentioned about vegans not having a sense of humor as well mm. yeah yeah, it's inter interesting that that horse riding thing. People say they have a symbiotic relationship with, with a horse. I said, well, get off the horse, just go down the beach, and you kind of walk with them like you would with a dog. Then, yeah, yeah. Oh, they'd they'd run away. I said, what happened to your symbiotic relationship? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, yeah, I do. Know, yeah, I I know someone who does research around horses, and like a lot of the language is very, oh, it's reciprocal and and all of that, but it's all written from the perspective mm. of those who enjoy or those who are winning out within the relationship. Relationship, I guess the dominant group. Yeah, it, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we better wrap things up. But just before we go, and I had a lot more to get to. So if you're ever keen to come back on the show again, it would be great to, to speak to you another time. Yeah, I'd be like, more than yeah, happy to. Nick. Yeah, I, I feel, any, any time. Yeah, I feel like there was a lot of uh, a lot of ground we, we could possibly cover another time. So um, yeah, but for now, there's lots of other places that you can hear Roger's work. So do you want to mention um, just your website, a plug for your your new uh, podcast, vodcast, etc. Yeah, actually, the VIP don't have a website now. We've, we've kind of closed it down because, uh, again, we've found that social media have kind of destroyed it. So but you can find the VIP on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find the Animal Rights Show on Facebook and Instagram. And so you just kind of really kind of, you know, put put that in into uh, the search engine within those uh, things. In terms of YouTube, you can find Roger Yates. Um, and so I've got... Uh, I've got quite a few videos now um, as well. So you, you can find me if you look, put it that way. Yep, great. And we'll put links to all of that in the show notes for this episode. So you can find these show notes as well as all our old episodes at 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species, as well as on iTunes. Stay tuned for Encyclopedia. They're a show that covers all issues around drugs, drug use, drug policy. And I did want to briefly mention that they've um, had a heavy focus on this idea of COVID policy 
policing and and sort of who gets police and who doesn't and actually that is a significant issue but uh, my partner actually googled it and they were one of the few media outlets that were covering this issue so um, yeah definitely lots of important stuff always an interesting show to check out so stay tuned for Encyclopedia. check out their episodes via the 3CR website uh, we're going to finish up with a song um, this is Soul and DJ Payne 1 uh, the song is I'm Happy and Soul is a vegan and yeah this song it's not necessarily like a vegan theme song but there is a mention of veganism and this song has just come out I do have to mention that this song does contain some swearing um, so yeah that, that's it um, thanks so much for joining me Roger it's been I've really enjoyed the discussion yes uh, no problem so be happy folks and be vegan I'm happy like when machines get revenge a man that just fought from rails or someone who denounces when you're making off some meal or someone I respect give me props but I still don't give a fuck about a blow I'm counting the minutes between bitter cats saying I'm bitter I ain't 25 crying cause life ain't fair I'm happy knowing it ain't basic just cause I rap a real shit don't mean I'm jaded been in the game five minutes more should I can't be faded like newspaper lies recycled if you my pay to hold me to my word that don't mean I gotta Smash every bag and eat out of a dumpster to prove the cats I'm real. Rather teach my homies how to own your own labor or teach my dogs not to piss in the fucking kitchen. Do what you love, you better love it or quit. Cause too many motherfuckers died not living shit. Don't tell me I'm angry, I'm in the belly of the beast. And it feel good to tell that motherfucker you ain't taking shit from me. Long as I got books and my wife, I'll be happy. Take away that shit, I still learn to be happy. I was born in the trenches. The life I chose, chose me I may be a war machine But I'm a happy war machine I read the news and laugh It's a sick self-defense mechanism Only thing that make me sicker Is animals getting tortured And they have the nerve to mock vegans Even though it's modern slavery they eating Guess they call this preaching These motherfuckers reaching Words have meaning I used to wake up every night screaming Wake up in the air screaming Fuck, fuck, phone steady ringing I was 20 years old trying to build an empire Now I'm 30-something young saying fuck the empire Before I was put on, I put on all my homies Now they mostly in my homies We said war buddies To be honest, we're all casualties I take it lightly The system wants control Even greed don't move me The death drive is actually A desire to live authentic In a war to suck your soul straight through plastic Tell me I'm angry I'm in the belly of the beast And I feel good to tell that motherfucker You ain't taking shit from me As long as I got my books, my wife, and my dogs I'll be happy Take away that shit I still learn to be happy I was born in the trenches The life I chose, it chose me I may be a war machine But I'm a happy war machine Sound of brutal shit, make in the wind, the winter's wings become unfrozen. Ain't no cats gonna eat me, no act rapper gonna beat me, and no shady label gonna cheat me. My dad died working, he overdosed on meth. Used to run a business, now there's nothing left. And all I got's the shows a pick for mango on my lawn. Old habits die hard, old men die alone, not me. You 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.